you have your Bibles with you, open up to the book of Acts, and we're going to continue with what occurred after the Great Commission. Last week we were together and we saw that Jesus gave a command to his disciples and to us through them to make disciples of all men, and he gave us three ways to do it. The first is we have to go, going, baptizing, and teaching. Going, baptizing, and teaching. And I'm sure as the disciples heard these words of Jesus, as we read them in Matthew chapter 28, they must have wondered how we're going to do this thing. How is this going to take place? And in fact, if you guys would just hold your place here in Acts and just turn to the left a couple of pages, you'll come to John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, we also read, uh, beginning at verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Dealing with the a, a, a same time frame as we read in Matthew chapter 28. But a little different message here. And, and the Lord said to them in verse 22, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Reminds me that scripture of John or of uh, of Genesis chapter one. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You remember the story of creation? You remember how it went? God said, Let there be light. What happened? Literally it says, God said, Let there be light, and light was. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. What happened? They received the Holy Spirit. John chapter 20 is when the disciples get saved. Jesus is calling them to go forward. And as he's calling them to go forward and take the message out, he gives them a taste of what's coming. He... he, Gives them the Holy Spirit. Receive you the Holy Spirit. Every believer who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior receives the Holy Spirit. Everyone. And so they receive the Holy Spirit. But you remember the story goes on until somebody was missing from the meeting. Well, we know Judas wasn't there, but somebody else was missing. You remember? He, he comes by a famous name. His name was Thomas. Because he's missing, everybody calls him what? Doubting Thomas. Because the whole next week, so, so they all, that all happens on a Sunday, first day of the week. They've all gathered together on a Sunday. There, Thomas is missing from the meeting. He took that Sunday off. He did something else that Sunday. And so the, Jesus showed up, and the disciples all received the Holy Spirit. And so they start telling Thomas all throughout the week, Thomas, we saw Jesus. Thomas, we saw Jesus. And we know how Thomas got his name because of what he said. He said, look, I don't care how many times you tell me, unless I see him. And I can put my fingers in the holes in his hands, and my hand in the hole in his side. I won't 
believe. So John chapter 20 tells us something else that we need to understand about our Lord and Savior. He always hears us. The disciples didn't run and tell Jesus what happened. The scripture tells us what occurred. It says, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with him and Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in their midst and said, peace to you. And in verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. But Jesus doesn't rebuke him for that. Thomas called him my Lord and my God. No rebuke. Because Jesus is Lord and God. Great is the mystery of godliness, the scripture tells us. Paul would write to Timothy, Great is the mystery of godliness, for God was manifest in the flesh. That's Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. Thomas believes. And then the Lord says something to Thomas. Look what he says. The Lord says to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Well, those people that Jesus was considering right then are sitting in this room today. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. I send you, Jesus said to them. Thomas comes to faith. He receives the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells in verse 30 that truly Jesus did many other things in the, in the presence of his disciples which are not written, but these are written so that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And we're all excited about that. And if John ended in John chapter 20, we wouldn't realize how all the pieces fit together. Seems like everything's good. But you remember when we read Matthew chapter 28. You guys remember that they saw Jesus afar off and they bowed down and worshipped him. And what the phrase, next phrase said, and some doubted. Some had picked up other priorities along the way. That's the concept in the Greek that, that there are things. Jesus, when he told the parable of the sower, do you remember? He said, some seed falls on thorny ground. That's where the cares of this world, the issues of life, it begin to spring up and choke it out. And so you have disciples, the 11, some of them doubting. In chapter 20, you have the disciples, I've all seen him. They touched him. They touched him. We know that in 1 John 1, 1. 1 John 1, 1, John says, Him whom we have handled, we touched him. We saw him with our eyes. We looked intently upon him. We studied him. And they're kind of blown away, right? The whole Jesus appearing in the middle of the room thing would tend to freak some people out. They studied him. They touched him. They handled him. They held him. All these things are true. But in John chapter 21, we get a little hint, a little hint of what's going on in the lives of Jesus' disciples, the eleven. 
It says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Didymus, we call him Doubting Thomas, we just talked about him, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other of his disciples were together, and Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now, this is not a phrase that says, you know, it's been a long week, kind of crazy, I need to get some fishing done. That's not the phrase. This phrase means, I am going back to fishing. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's gave the great commission. Go, teach, baptize, make disciples of all men. They've believed. They've received the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 21, this handful of disciples, Thomas being one of them, we just read, he touched Jesus. He saw the holes and the place in his side. He's seen all of those things, yet they have come to make a decision in John chapter 21. I'm going back to what I know. And I think it does a disservice to us to ignore that. Because let me tell you what happens. Uh, was it a week, two weeks ago when we had Harvest America? Six people got saved. They come forward. They, they pray the prayer of salvation. They call upon Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, which is the whole point of the prayer. And as they call upon the Lord to be their Lord and Savior, Jesus is their Lord and Savior. And they receive the Holy Spirit. And then they get up the next morning. And the tires are still flat. And I still don't have a job. And everything in my life hasn't changed. And I, and I know Jesus is real. And I know Jesus rose from the dead. And I know all those things. But what do I do about it now? Where do I go now? What's next? And Peter said, I'm going fishing. A lot of... New believers, a lot of old believers. We're still right there. We had never left John 21 to Acts chapter 1. I'm going fishing. I don't know what to do. I I did all those things and gave my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but my... My life has not changed in it anyhow. There's, there's, there, there wasn't this bright light or, or, or some incredible revelation that I received. And I'm still looking for that change in my life. And I, and I don't feel it and I don't see it. And so, we go fishing. But you see, John wrote to us, John chapter 21, so we'd understand. The 11 disciples who saw him, who turned the world upside down, who changed everything... From, from history to the way it is today. These 11 guys changed the whole world. Your calendars are set by the stuff these guys did. 11 fishermen in the, from Galilee. Nobody cares about Galilee. The only thing they ever want to talk about is war in Israel. Nobody talks about 11 people who changed the world. History books are full of the stuff these guys started. But before all that happened, they all went back fishing. They went back to what they knew. And Jesus met them there. 
And he had a very specific message for Peter. We remember it, right? He, when they see him, they fish all night, don't catch nothing. Then when they catch fish, because they see a fellow on the shore, says, hey, you guys got anything? And for the first time in the history of mankind, a fisherman told the truth. <laughs> said no. They didn't say, oh, we got a bunch of nibbles. You won't believe the one that got away. None of those things. They told the truth. Jesus told them. Jesus told them where to cast their nets. And when they cast their nets where Jesus told them, they brought in fish. Such a great cast. A huge pile of fish. A great catch. If you were going back to fishing, it was a good day. Blessing. Great haul. Man, I, I should go back. I should go back and, and, and seek this life out again. Maybe that's the whole purpose of it but when they gathered together Jesus already had breakfast waiting for him and he said to Simon Peter Simon do you love me more than these and we remember the boast of Simon Jesus says Simon do you agapeo me more than all these others and he said I am your friend he said, I phileo, I can't agape. I said I would love you more than anybody else did. I said I'd be better than all these other guys were. And I was just like them. I failed. I thought that there was going to be this, this incredible change. And I desire for this incredible change to happen in my life. But I'm not able to love you the way you want me to love you. And then he said go not what he said he said Lord you know that I love you when the scripture tells us feed my lambs go take care of my sheep tend my flock feed my lambs he asked him again Simon son of Jonah do you love me more than these oh Lord you know that I love you I'm your friend that's the best I can do tend my sheep Simon, son of Jonah, the third time, he said, Are you my friend? And Peter was cut to the heart. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I'm your friend. And so the Lord said to him, Feed my sheep. He restores Peter three times he calls him. Three times he calls him. He tells Peter about how his life's going to be. What's the point of John chapter 21? That after Jesus, or after Peter and James and John and Thomas and Nathaniel and two other disciples had given their life and trusted Jesus Christ and their lives hadn't changed and they were thinking about going back to the old life, Jesus came to them on the beach and he said the same words that started it all. He said, follow me follow me nothing rattles the walls of hell more than what occurs when a person makes the choice no matter what I'm following Jesus even if nothing ever changes even if I don't ever feel anything different I'm following Jesus and so they did so they did and we come to Acts chapter 1 as we turn the page and we're introduced to a fella 
named Theophilus. I had a whole joke planned for Theophilus. I was going to mock my good pal Fritz. I'm not going to do it now. I was going to. What I was going to say... <laughs> what I was going to say is, when Fritz was born, they almost named him Theophilus. Yeah, the, the doctor... This, I, I'm not going to tell it now, but I was going <clears> to. <throat> and the doctor, he came out after, after Fritz was born and before they called him Fritz. And, and he said to his father, you need to name him Theophilus. And the father, his father thought, it's kind of an odd name. I mean, most of us don't go through the biblical book of names and come up with Theophilus, do we? No. Why should we name him Theophilus? And the doctor said, because that's Theophilus, baby, I've ever seen. <laughs> But I'm not going to tell it because that would be harsh to say something like that. So I chose not to tell it, Fritz. <laughs> Listen to what the scripture says in Acts. Let's just read it together. We're going to go to verse 11. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, and to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when he had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which a father has put into his authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. And Father, we ask that your word would just do a fruitful work in our life as we desire to see what's next. Where do we go from here? How do we experience all that, that you have for us, Lord God? Father, I pray that by your spirit you would reveal your will to us as we open up the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Lord, we pray that you would guide and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin. 
So the disciples we know had doubts. The disciples had a desire to wander back. The scripture told us, as we read here in the beginning of Acts, that Jesus had presented himself over 40 days. He had shown himself to them. He'd given them instructions. Some of those instructions we just read in, in John chapter 20, and some of them we'll still look at. But as he laid out for him his desire for them, listen, I want you to understand the power to do what Jesus was asking them to do, they didn't have in themselves. They couldn't be what they felt they needed to be in Christ. They couldn't have all that they were looking for. They couldn't experience all that was available to them in themselves. So they didn't know what to do. You ever felt that way? I mean, is this really all there is? Have you ever felt that way? Is this really what Christianity is all about? Is this it? Am I experiencing all that God has for me? Am I enjoying all that the Lord has laid out for me? The book of Acts is written by a fellow named Luke. He also wrote the book of Luke. It's interesting because in the book of Luke, he also is writing this letter to a fellow named Theophilus. In the, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, he calls him O Most Excellent Theophilus, which is a, a title of someone who is probably a Roman official. Somewhere within Roman government, this fellow Theophilus existed. And, and, and Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke to a single man to tell him about all that Jesus Christ meant to him. You thought about that before? The effort that Luke went to to talk to one person. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, which is famous for having the longest chapters of all the Gospels. It's a long letter. And in Acts, he begins in the book of Acts, the former account I made to you, O Theophilus. He no longer calls him most excellent. A lot of people think that's because Theophilus, as he went through the letter from Luke, got saved. And so it's not about calling him by titles anymore. Now he's a brother. Oh, Theophilus. Let me tell you what happens next. Isn't that what we need to know? I mean, in, in each of our lives, isn't that we want to know what happens next? These 11 disciples are all knuckleheads, just like we are. And they make mistakes and they do things wrong and they do the wrong thing and then for the right reasons. And all this stuff is real. It's real life. But, but they tapped into something in the book of Acts. The other thing I want you to know about the book of Acts is uh, uh, as we go through it, the book of Acts covers a 40-year history of the beginning of the church. Please keep that in mind. Because there's a lot of things we're going to see, a lot of miracles we're going to study in the book of Acts. There's 20 miracles, but they take place over 40 years years 20 miracles over 40 years that's a long time a lot of times people say i don't understand why the church isn't experiencing the things that we see in the book of acts today thomas aquinas asked that very same thing of a pope a pope was one day counting in the treasury and thomas aquinas was outside and the pope spoke he said you know no longer do we have to say silver and gold have i not and Thomas Aquinas responded, Neither can we say, In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. 
And the Pope got the point. But the point isn't that it's in the miracles. It's not in the miracles. It's in the promise. It's in the promise that Jesus gave. Some of us are still waiting for that promise. It's already there. We just have to make the decision that we're going to open it. That we're going to receive it. This former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. By the way, that's the proper order of things. Sometimes we think we're supposed to teach and then do. Jesus did it the other way. Of all that he began to both do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to his, to his apostles. What did he tell them? Make disciples of all men. Go to all nations. Going, baptizing, teaching. Make disciples. Make disciples. This is the command that he gave. And he also, what did he do? He also presented himself alive. We just read a couple of those, of those times. After his suffering by many infallible proofs. That word infallible is only found in the Bible in this place. This one verse. It means it was this. Why uh, uh, I hate when the English language just jumps out of my head in the middle of a word. Anyways, the idea is there was nothing they could do to disprove the resurrection. I want you to understand at the time of Jesus Christ and the 11 apostles, if they could have thrown a body out on the ground and said, that's him right there, you think they wouldn't have done it? But they couldn't because they went to the tomb and it was empty. The best they could do is come up with a story. The disciples came through a cohort of Roman soldiers, trained Roman soldiers, the disciples who all scattered, suddenly got brave, and they fought their way through this cohort, and they took the body of Jesus and they hid it. Whatever. It's ridiculous. He showed himself for 40 days. Jesus was walking around teaching the disciples. He was walking around being seen by, by people at 500 at one time. Eyewitnesses who saw, touched, and handled. It's the most provable fact in history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. By many infallible proofs, they've seen him. He spoke to them for 40 days concerning the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What do we do next, Jesus? What do we do? And they, they were told. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, listen to this, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, the disciples had already received the Holy Spirit. The disciples were already saved. And Jesus tells them to wait for the baptism that John the Baptist spoke of. Remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus? He said, I baptize with water, but truly there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to loose, and he will baptize in the Holy Spirit and with fire. He'll baptize. And, and the translators of the Bible, I, I, you know, I don't, I, when I get to heaven, if I, if I meet some of them, I'll ask them. 
They transliterate the word baptize. They, they, every time you see baptize or baptism, it's just a Greek word spoken English. Instead of defining it, we just translate it. Baptizo. Instead of translating baptizo, we just say baptize. You'll be baptized. It, it is to be identified or immersed into. To be identified or immersed into. You will be immersed in the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. And he called it the promise of the Father. As we think about this concept, the promise of the Father, we're going to run through some scriptures kind of quick. Hopefully you guys can, can keep up with me. But in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, we hear that same exact phrase from the, from the lips of Jesus speaking to his disciples after the resurrection. He says in uh, chapter 24, verse 49, Behold, I send, who sends him? Jesus does. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. So tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So he begins to lay out for the disciples. The disciples questioning their faith, struggling with their understanding. And Jesus, on this day, he begins to tell them, Listen, I'm going to give you the power that you need to be what you need to be. I'm going to give it to you. It's my gift to you. You just stay right here until you have it. Until you experience it. Until you've been endued with the power of God to do what God is calling you to do. Our greatest need is the promise of the Father. Well, after we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, our greatest need is the promise of the Father. When we are going around in our lives feeling like we lack the power to change, we lack the power to be what God's calling us to be, we are lacking exactly what the disciples are lacking right here. We're missing that immersion in the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Although you have the Holy Spirit, you're saved, but the power, the power necessary to be all that God's calling us to be we need that we need that power and that's what Jesus was talking about in Luke 24 49 well if you turn to the right from Luke to John chapter 14 we will see it again John chapter 14 Jesus prior to the cross now as he's getting ready to head to the cross this is what he says to his disciples beginning in verse 16 he says and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. How long does that helper abide with you? Forever. He will give you another helper, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells, what's he say? With you, and will be in you. Oh. So in John chapter 14, the Holy Spirit wasn't in him yet. Right? Jesus said, he is with you, and he will be in you. John chapter 20, he breathes on him and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is then in them. At this point in John chapter 14, the disciples are not in a place where we would recognize as we do today, salvation. 
Well, we haven't seen the cross yet. The resurrection hasn't occurred. But at the end of those things, they'll, they'll come to faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit will be in them. In this phrase, in John chapter 14, we see two of three Greek prepositions that speak about the work of the Holy Spirit. The first one being, He is with you. Listen, no one comes to the Father except He is drawn by the Spirit. The word for being with you is the word para, that He's alongside that he is convicting, that he's whispering in ears, that he's wooing, that he's calling people to the Father. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is alongside doing that work. When we come to faith, we move into the second Greek preposition, which is the word en, in. We put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside. Period. He is in us. So you have everything that is necessary in you, even as the disciples did in John chapter 20. But they still went fishing. Didn't they? They still struggled with doubts. Didn't they? That's what the scripture tells us. In verse 26, if you just go down in John 14 to verse 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. So what's the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of the believer? He points to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will never put on your heart that you need to have a special Holy Spirit meeting. He's not looking for the light to be shown upon himself. He's looking for the light to be shown on Jesus Christ. He will lead us into truth. He will guide us into truth. For he is the Spirit of truth. If we turn the page to the right, we come to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus goes on. But when the Helper comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, the work of the Holy Spirit. He will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness of Jesus Christ. And what does He then do through us? He gives us the ability to be His witnesses. To fulfill the commission that He gave us. The Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. Listen, in the next chapter... John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, which of the disciples, when Jesus said that, thought, Yeah, that's that's right. It's good that you go away. I mean, think about how great it was to have Jesus physically with them. Yet Jesus said, It's to your advantage that I go. Because while I'm here, you don't have the power you need in your life. But when I go, you will have that power. He said, For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, this is what he does. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. That's para, alongside, calling. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you will see me no more. 
So he's going to convict the believer. The example of Christ's walk is not here. The Holy Spirit whispers in our ears. That's not the way Jesus walked. He convicts us of righteousness because Jesus is with the Father. And then he says, and of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Whoa, wait a minute. We were thinking that that judgment was for all the dirty little sinners here. No, he convicts the world of judgment because the the prince and the power of this world, the one who tells you you can't, the one who says you can't measure up, you can't walk like God wants you to walk, you can't be who God wants you to be, has already been defeated. He's judged. He's done. He's a voice without power in your life as a believer. He has been judged. It is finished. It's done. Jesus is saying, you will have the spirit of truth. And when he has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He speaks on the, the, the Lord's behalf for Jesus Christ. And he will tell you things to come. That's the voice of prophecy. And he will glorify me, Jesus Christ, for he will take of what is mine and declare it unto you. This is what the Holy Spirit can do, is, is ready to do, is set to do in the lives of every single person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Yet, the majority of us do not experience the power. We have denominations that have arisen because of it, and they point to things must be missing. Something must be missing, and so you're not really saved, you don't really have the Holy Spirit until you have this thing come out of your life and someone else will say no that's not the case let me just settle it in this the the orthodox christian view from the first century past the time of christ is the same one that i'm telling you about right now every single believer has the holy spirit in them but jesus gives us the clue to what's missing In Acts chapter 2, speaking of this baptism of the Holy Spirit, And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So how many people can receive it? Everybody. Was it only for the apostles? No. Peter said, it's for everyone. To as many as the Lord our God will call. Jesus said in Acts 1-4, Wait here for the promise of the Father. Wait for the promise of the Father. Because I am going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to, to give you the power and the strength that you need. With the Holy Spirit. Every time the baptism of the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Scripture, and by the way, it's mentioned seven times, six times it is contrasted with John's baptism. The point of the contrast between the baptism of the Spirit and John's baptism is what was utilized within John's baptism was water. The contrast or the comparison is between water and the Holy Spirit. Being immersed 
in the water, the water covering you, the water being all around you, the water affecting your environment, everything about you. As you lift it up, the water splashing off of you onto the people that are standing around celebrating the fact that you've been baptized and the concept of being immersed into the Holy Spirit and having the power of the Holy Spirit running off of you and affecting your environment and the people around you. It's that idea of the Holy Spirit moving through. The water doesn't baptize us, neither does the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that the Holy Spirit baptizes us. It says Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Immerse us, give us the power. The Bible never states that it's the Spirit that baptizes us. It is a work that Jesus Christ does. So as Jesus tells them, listen, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, guys. So just hang tight here. The power is coming for you to be able to experience and fulfill the calling that God has placed on your life. You hang tight right here, and they ask him a question. The disciples ask a question. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What's their question? Well, what's going to happen in the future? How many times have they asked Jesus this, by the way? Over and over and over again. Is this the time you're going to... Are we going to sit at your right hand now? Uh, can we go pick up our crowns? Is it time for us to be in power? Over and over again, they're looking for this. This stamp of what's going to occur. How's this future going to line out? How's it going to fit? How's it all going to come together? How's it all going to work? And so they asked Jesus again and again and again. Look what Jesus says to them. He said... It is not for you to know times or seasons which your Father has put into His own authority. By the way, if you're sitting around today going, Oh my gosh, is Jesus coming today? Or is it Tuesday? Or is it Wednesday? Lord, which day are you going to come? It's great that we're looking and longing for the return of Christ. But we have a job to do. And the job is not to to be looking and longing for those things. Our job is to be focused on Joseph screaming in my office. No, I'm sorry. Our job is to be focused on the call that Jesus Christ has given each of us to make disciples of all people. To be about living out our faith, experiencing all that Jesus Christ has for us. And then he uses this phrase in verse 8. But, it's a phrase, Allah. It, it's, it means, in, in sharp contrast, rather than worrying about whether or not I'm setting up my kingdom now, and you guys are going to be you know, in that place of honor, rather than worrying about that, in sharp contrast to that, he says, you, what's those next two words? Shall receive. Listen, the same two words are spoken to you. Not you might receive, not you may receive. You shall receive power. You shall receive power. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Remember I told you there are three Greek prepositions dealing with the work of the Holy Spirit. Para, which means alongside or with you. And, which means inside of you when you come to faith. The third one is used in Acts 1.8. It's the word epi. It means upon, to overflow. 
It is the same word as if you were to sit a pitcher of water in the middle of a table and you put a hose in it and you turn the hose on. And that pitcher fills up and then the water begins to overflow out the outside and run across the top of the table. That is a perfect word picture to the word epi, upon. That the Holy Spirit is filling you up, empowering you to affect your environment, the people around you, the whole table's getting wet. And, there, and the power to affect your environment in that way is not so that people will put your face on a billboard and say how wonderful you are, but so that people will come to know who Jesus Christ is, right? That's the point of the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's not to exalt an individual, it's to exalt Christ. It's to exalt Him. So you shall, it definitely will occur, you will receive power. You will receive it when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's in you. But there are times when He bubbles out. When He bubbles out. And it, and it changes things around us. And it, and it changes our environment. And it changes the people that we're trying to minister to. And it changes us. And it develops us into something else. Because the next shall be, He says, and you shall. And I'm live again. Hey, he's doing, he's doing this work that he does in us, guys. This work that he does so that we will be his witnesses. I don't want us to lose sight of that word for witness is the word martus in, in the Greek. It's the same word. We get the root concept of martyr. Now, if we look at scripture, doesn't scripture call us, doesn't the Lord call us to be a living sacrifice? Or if you want to put those words together, a living martyr. Someone who lives for Him. Who, who, who's not just looking for an opportunity to die for Him, but who's looking for an opportunity to live for Him. To be an example. To be an example that people can look at. That can, that can be a vessel for the Holy Spirit to bubble up inside of them and begin to affect the environment around them. To be able to have the right word to answer a friend when they have a question, to be able to deal with things in the right way as we look for the power of God to be working through us. The point is the power comes so you can be a witness of Jesus Christ. Not so that you can do incredible things. Although He may use you to be a vessel in which He imparts healing. He doesn't make you a healer. He's the healer. You're the vessel. He doesn't make you a prophet while he might have you prophesy. He doesn't make you a prophet. The Holy Spirit bubbles in your life and he speaks those things that are yet to come. Those things happen. Those things occur. Those things are still within the church today. They need to be a part of the church today because it's the power of the church to affect the world around them. To be witnesses to me. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. To the end of the world. To the end of the world. This is the call that's been given. And Jesus said, wait here, wait here, wait here. He's saying the same thing 
to you and to me, wait for the power to be who I want you to be. Well, the next question then is, when's it going to happen? Well, to be honest, that's why we're studying the book of Acts. Hopefully, so we can begin to glean. How is it that we become a vessel ready for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Do I work myself up into it? Do I just disconnect my mind and let myself run rampant? How do I do it? How do I become the vessel? But I'll tell you how they did it. This is how they did it. They were in one place, in one accord, in prayer. The number one most neglected area in ministry in our lives, in our walk with Christ, is prayer. The number two area is that fan that's squeaking. (laughs) It's got a bit of a rhythm to it, though. Listen, the number one most neglected area of our lives is prayer. We wonder why we don't experience the power of God moving in our life today as the disciples did. But they were gathered together in one accord in one place in prayer. That was a a basic part of who they were. It wasn't something they did occasionally when there was trouble. It wasn't something that they occasionally pressed into now and again. It was something that became the driving point of everything that they did. Before Peter gives that message on the day of Pentecost, where are they going to be? Gathered in the upper room in prayer. Before Peter receives direction from the Lord in regard to Gentiles getting saved in the book of Acts, where is he going to be? Up on the roof in what? In prayer. The Lord's going to speak to him in a vision. Paul, thinking about destroying the church and running rampant and throwing the church in prison, is going to come face to face with Jesus Christ and as a result of that of that influence in his life he's going to go away to a place of prayer the squeaking is gone now it's getting hot I know I'm almost done the He goes to a place of prayer. And in that place of prayer, what's God doing? He's going to guide him. He's going to empower him. He's going to encourage him. He's going to work in his life. He's going to bubble the Holy Spirit out of him. Because he's bringing his will in line with God. And he's spending that time in prayer. He's spending that time before the Lord. He's not looking to exalt himself. He's not looking to exalt anything else. He's just reporting for duty. And saying, Lord, here I am. Use me. Here I am, God. A vessel for you. Here I am, God. Empower me. Because I can't do it on my own. And I don't want to go back to fishing. And I don't want to struggle with doubts. I want to be in a place of belief. I want to be a place of strength. I want to be strong. So what did Jesus say? Wait here and I will give you power. Dunamis. Dynamite. I'm going to put dynamite in your life. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of the baptism. That's the promise of that third word, that third preposition, to be upon, to be feeling, to be preparing. The power of the Holy Spirit is essential to fulfill God's purpose in our life. There is no other way to do it.
We can develop programs. We can build big churches. We can make things happen. We can gather people together. But that doesn't mean we're functioning in the power of God. To function in the power of God, we must have the power of the Holy Spirit in and through us. And while we're thinking about the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, I want you to listen to this from Acts chapter 4. And when they had prayed, in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the epi, the overflowing, it's flowing through them. And what they do? They spoke the word with boldness. So often when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we want to talk about uh, a lot of the other gifts that we see working through the Holy Spirit, and those gifts definitely are for today, and they have their place. But we forget about the practical issues. You ever wanted to be able to just be a witness for Jesus Christ? Just be able to speak boldly what you believe, to really make that solid stand? Well, how'd they do it? They prayed. The Holy Spirit in power came upon their lives, and they spoke the word boldly. Those 11 guys turned the world upside down. Or upside right, as some people say. We're upside down again, so we better get busy. They changed everything. They moved from doubting to, to a place of power. And they moved to that place of power because they presented themselves in prayer to the Lord. It wasn't a last option. It wasn't, oh yeah, you know, I should pray about that. It was an everyday thing. And we always need to be reminded of that. Because it's so easy to move from a place of power in prayer and reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit. To a place in power and reliance upon myself. And my plans, and my schemes, and the way I can make something work, and the way I can change this and do this. And if we twist that, and we did this and that, that's going to change everything. And now we're no longer relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. Or to come together in a place of prayer, and to allow the Holy Spirit to guide, the Holy Spirit to lead. The Holy Spirit to give the boldness that we need to fulfill the Great Commission. We stand around and we read books and we look at things and the books tell us that the American church is just not doing what she needs to be doing and she's not being all that she can be and she's not experiencing all that she can experience. Last I checked, the fellows writing that book are in the American church. We want to become a part of a solution to see God work in power in our lives then it's going to be through the Holy Spirit. Not hiding from the Holy Spirit, not afraid of the Holy Spirit. Not afraid of, of what the Holy Spirit may call you to do or ask you to do. or But that we would realize the point of the power of the Holy Spirit is to make you a witness. To make you a witness of Jesus Christ. To make you a martus. You will be my witnesses. So Jesus gives them this word. That's the last word he gave them. The scripture tells us he told them these things. Wait here until you have the power. And then where did he go? He went to heaven. The language talks about a slow ascension. He just went up. And they all stood there looking at him. As he's going away. And two men in white apparel... 
the Bible says. We're standing there and they said, Men of Galilee, what are you doing? Didn't Jesus tell you to be doing something right now? Oh, that's right. He did. And to, to their benefit, they listened. They gathered together and they prayed and the power came. Do you really think it works different today? In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus said, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Give me your power. That's all it takes. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit. The check's already written. You just got to cash it. Present yourself to Him in prayer. Give yourself to Him as a vessel and allow Him to work through you. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand together and pray? Lord God, I pray as we come before You and as we enter into a study of the book of Acts, Lord God, that our heart, our desire would be to be empowered by Your Spirit to do, to accomplish the things you want us to do, Lord God. You, you call us to do the impossible. Sometimes it feels impossible for me to, to meet all these, these needs. It feels impossible for me to do the things that I feel you calling me to do. And, and it, but you never tell me I got to do it on my own, or I got to figure it out on my own, or I got to solve it all by myself. You say, wait until you have the power. And the way the power comes is when we gather together and we pray. Just like Elijah in the battle against the 400 priests of Baal. They built an altar and they prayed, but no answer came. Elijah built an altar and prayed, and fire came from heaven and took the sacrifice. Equipped him to be your witness. Peter, the other disciples, 120 in number, are going to be gathered together in prayer. And your spirit is going to come with fire and power. Yes, thank you, Father. And do a work that gives birth to the church. Yes. And the church still needs to do that work today. We need to not worry about our programs. We need to worry about that time of prayer. Seeking that empowerment from you to cast aside the doubts and the fears, to allow the chains that bind us, that tell us you can't do this and you can't do that and you're never going to be good enough for that and you really don't have any gifts and I don't know how God might be able to use you anyway. We're all bound up in the chains of the enemy. But you want those chains to be loosed. You've already unlocked it. And we leave them wrapped around us. And we got to come before you in prayer and let the chains fall down. To be set free. To be your witnesses. Witnesses of you, not for us, for you. That we might speak the word with boldness. By the power of your Holy Spirit. 
Father, we ask that you would do that work today. Lord, we pray. If there's anybody here longing for the power to be who God's called them to be, to see the effectual change of a life given to Christ occurring in their life, that they would recognize that that comes as they present themselves in prayer to the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Lord, we pray you do your work with your church so we can put our world upside right. So we can be equipped to be who you've called us to be. We lay it out before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the worship team comes up and as we enter into a time of worship, I invite you to, to consider the things that we've talked about today. Perhaps the Lord would have you come back tonight for a time of prayer and seeking the Lord's face, but certainly a desire to see God move in power.